This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest uh, end of season report part two. Um, I'm Nick Gillard and joining me tonight, we've got a very special guest. Um, rather than like all season having people who don't know what they're talking about talking to you, we've got uh, our friend from the Athletic, Matt Wisdom. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, I was just asking before, when when do you go on holiday? Do you have a fixed holiday time as a football <laughs> journal? Or... Um... No, there's no fixed holiday. Um, still got to be busy during the off-season and, and pre-season. Um, getting up early with the Australia games to watch those on uh, Palace TV. Um, but yeah, no, no, no fixed holidays. Yeah, so, you so mean you they're know, not flying you out there? Unfortunately not, no. Bastards. <laughs> um, that voice you can hear there is uh, Chris Clark. How are you doing, Chris? Hello, Nick. Yeah, not too, not too bad. Been... Um, quite a roller coaster season, as people are going to hear. Um, you know, we've we've obviously already talked about that, um, and now we're going to get some insights from Matt. Looking forward to hearing from him. Um, you know, in in this slightly more formal setting than you know normally when we catch up after games or even during games occasionally. Um, so yeah, good good to have you on, mate. And uh, last but no means least, uh, we got Patrick O'Connor from over there in the states. How you doing, mate? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Oh, good. It's it, it's been a, an up and down season. Um, now we're going to kick off. We're going to interrogate our special guest. <laughs> okay. So um, I don't know if uh, Chris is able to see the uh, uh, the running the running document that we've got. But uh, Patrick, uh, do you want to come in with the first question there, mate? Sure. So Matt, what are your thoughts on Vieira's appointment now compared to with what they were when he came in? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting season, a very positive season. Um, there's some obvious areas of improvement required, game management particularly, um, you know, throwing away goals in uh, late on in games, um, you know, just conceding stupid goals. Uh, Leicester at home, I know it was the first half of the season, but that, that sticks in the mind. And obviously the capitulation at Everton um, on the penultimate game of the season, which... Obviously, you have to caveat that with the fact that Everton were very much up for it and 
could secure safety, but Palace shouldn't really have capitulated in the way that they did. Uh, Vieira spoke of Palace showboating. Um, I don't think he quite meant it in the way that we understand it, but I think he meant that like they weren't quite sort of they were keeping the ball too long and, and things like that. But it's been a Look, good season. Sorry, just as a, a sidebar, there I've got to come in because this this I only found this out during the season. Um, talking about people saying things that don't come out as you quite understand it. Jose Mourinho, the special one. I think I might have heard it on an Athletic pod actually talking about how he said he was a special one, but his version of what special is was more of unique, as in special being very, very good. Right. Um, yeah. I, did you know that, Patrick? I did. I did. Sorry. Bit, bit all over the place there, Matt. Sorry, <laughs> but I thought I'd no. get that in there as a, a bit of interest, because, you know, he he's not as bad as you might think he is coming out with that nonsense. Uh, but, yeah, but I, I think you know, some of the things that, Vieira says, I think you have to appreciate the the difference in language. Um, you know, English isn't his first language. He's obviously very fluent in it, but there are some things that he says that you have to realise you think about what he says. But at the start of the season, um, you know, there was a lot of pressure on him. There was a very disappointing start to the season, but I think everyone realised that it was going to sort of get worse before it got better. It was going to take a while to bed in and for everything to to settle down and there have been rocky patches along the way um particularly uh with the games against Brentford and Norwich where you know didn't really threaten too much um you know probably should have won both games in reality and there was pressure ahead of the the Watford game which obviously was a comprehensive victory um but it's been a, a very good season and I think that the vast majority of people will be delighted about how well Patrick Vieira has done, um, you know, especially given that there's been such a turnaround and such a turnover of players and it's a much younger squad as well. So I think, you know, all in all, he's certainly defied expectations, things to work on. He admits that, he, he accepts that. But um, yeah, I think everyone's excited for next season. Yeah, I want to add though, I have to admit though, I mean, I, I like most fans, was upset with the capitulation in matches especially Everton but when you look at the fixtures honestly the only one we had before them was the Chelsea match obviously the one at home when we lost in the last minute so you got to give him credit because I think we actually learned a lot from the Leicester matches early the Leeds match yeah. earlier in the season so we being Vieira so I got to give him a lot of credit for a first year Premier League manager he really did a fantastic job in getting a young squad to really get over those you know that that thing and I think the Everton thing is a is an aberration that pitch invasion really it really turned things around you know for that but yeah you're right Matt I mean you have to give him you know you have to admit it's been a really good you know uh turnaround for Vera on that on that front so yeah I think you make a good point there about learning um along the way as well I think I think Fiera has learned a lot along the way as well um I think you can see that I think he appeared to be quite flexible to begin with then settled on a particular side um, giving you an insight into a piece I'm going to write next week, actually. Um, and then uh, he went back to changing things around a little bit. Um, you know, at the start of the season and for quite a long time, Palace were very expansive, very progressive. And actually, when you think about the last couple of months or so, it perhaps since the Chelsea game in the FA Cup, it's actually gone a little bit more towards the counter-attacking type of team. Right. Um, the style of, of how Palace have played. 
certainly with the expansive elements, but certainly not as as much as it was before. And I think it's really interesting to see how things have changed. So I want to follow up real quickly um, with that because you know the style of play. How much do you think is attributable to um, what Ocean Roberts has brought to um, to Palace this season as an assistant manager? Uh, I think Ocean Roberts has obviously influenced Vieira. They obviously. Uh, worked together when uh, Vieira took the FA Wales um, coaching course uh, with Roberts being his mentor. Um, so they're obviously very close. I'm certain that they work together um, and they appear to work together well. But I think Patrick Vieira is his own man. And I would say that the majority of what we've seen is is Vieira and what he's implemented. And then the coaching staff are there to support him. So I don't think it's necessarily Roberts has taken the lead on it. I think it's mostly Vieira with uh, Roberts and Christian Diamond, um, you know, uh, Said Igon and the rest of the coaching staff, Sean Derry, all helping out. Yeah, Derry, Derry seems to have made the step up well as well, doesn't he? Um, we've had some really good recruitment over the last couple of windows. Um, some surprises. I mean, we, we were all surprised when we got... Um, Chappie in for Reading, whose name was completely like my, my, yeah, yeah, my, my, uh, one of my players of the season, um, came out of left field. So, how much of the recruitment now is down to, to Patrick and how much is down to Dougie? Is Dougie turning, going, coming to Patrick and saying, Look, I've got this player, I think he'll serve it? Is Patrick saying, oh, I want this sort of player, or is Patrick Vieira naming players that he wants Dougie to go after? Yeah, so I think, you know, at the start of the season, Obviously, Patrick Vieira came in relatively late to the process. Palace kind of had their their ideas and what they wanted, and the whole port. The whole point was that they were going to reform and transform the squad. Whatever happened, whichever manager was in charge, and whichever manager did get hired, had to fit in with what what they were going to do. You know, he- headed up by the sporting director Dougie Friedman, backed by Steve Parrish, the chairman. Um, you know, I think whichever manager was was appointed was going to have to look to recruit players who fitted that sort of that style of playing more expansively, perhaps, um, and who certainly were younger in particular. The, the age of the squad had to come down. But the most important thing to note about Palace's recruitment is is the mentality of the players. Um, Palace don't necessarily recruit based on age i mean yes they clearly do to some extent but the most important thing is is getting the player the person right first of all um if you don't sort of create that squad harmony which we've seen this season how good that's been um then you're not going to get the results out of those players that you want um and i think that has been perhaps the most important part of the recruitment yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally agree, Matt. And it, it's great to see that there does seem to be uh, an agenda behind the recruitment now, whereas, you know, at times in the past, it seems like we've almost, you know, just panic bought. Um, and I am talking, you know, years ago now, especially that first promotion season where it was absolute chaos. Ian um, Holloway's transfer blunderbuss target. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now we actually do seem to have a plan, an agenda, and a style of football that we're trying to recruit. And as you said, a mentality. So on that, um, have you heard any whispers of more incomings? And what positions do you think are most important for Palace to fill? Yeah, I think... I think for me, it's got to be 
um, centre midfield. I think everyone can see that that needs sort of cover slash competition slash upgrade. Um, you know, not too sure what's happening with Czech Kiate at the moment. Possibility that he may may not return. Um, his contract is is due to expire. Um, obviously, he was linked with uh, other clubs in January. I uh, can't remember exactly what club it was, but um, you know, the suggestion was he had signed a pre-contract agreement, which I don't think was the case. But certainly, there are you know clubs that are interested in taking him. And I, I mean, you know, again, he's coming sort of towards the end of his career, um, so I wouldn't be overly surprised to see him depart. I'm not saying he will, but um, I, I can see him leaving. Um, Obviously, James McArthur has been outstanding when he's played this season, but unfortunately yeah. for him, his body is starting to, you know, his age is starting to catch up with him um, and his body hasn't really been there at the top of it. Wait um, till you hit 50, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, I think it's pretty clear that, that the centre of midfield is, is going to be a key aspect of Palace's recruitment this summer um you know check the core at lawns um it's been reported already but he is someone that palace are very keen to sign um you know sort of a, a holding midfielder who can allow those players ahead of him to to do what they need to do um i think a lot of it will depend on how palace intend to play and how palace set up next season um you know you've seen Vieira change from having two sort of almost holding midfielders like a four and a six alongside each other to having two number eights. Um, I prefer it when Palace play with two number eights uh, with James McArthur and Conor Gallagher. I think that gets the best out of Conor Gallagher. And I think that we saw that towards, as the season progressed, that Gallagher's form uh, didn't quite hit the heights that it had for many reasons, of course. But I think one of those reasons was the absence of MacArthur alongside him to help facilitate him. Um, looks like Eddie Nketiah is now staying at Arsenal. So he was one that Palace were were keen to to do, but for whatever reason, uh, that doesn't look like it's going to happen now because he looks like he's going to stay at Arsenal. Um, makes makes me happy team. personally. makes me happy. I'm not an Nketiah fan at all, so just saying. Um, I don't think there's need to cover at left back. I think you've got enough players who can do that. Um, Tyreek Mitchell has played almost every game this season. Uh, we saw that you know Ward came in and and did a good enough job there. Klein can play there if necessary. Uh, I think Yairo Reedavald's still under contract, so I think he he can even cover there potentially. Um, so you know, there's players who can cover that that position. I'd quite Just like to see an upgrade at right back. So I'm just going to stop you there because we're jumping about because that's what we do on this show. At the start of the season, and this is open to everybody, um, and I'll, I'll start with you, Chris. Joel Ward, if at the start of the season you'd have been told that he plays so many games, be so important and help keep out Man United playing centre-back in the last game of the season, what would you have said to me and what do you say about him now? I'd have asked if you were drunk. Um, in respect of him playing at centre-back. Um, I've seen him play in central defensive midfield roles and he's done a great job. Yeah, But that was 10 years ago when he had you know a little bit of pace. Right. Um, only a little bit. He, he did, wasn't fast then and he's certainly not fast now. Um, I would have said that he would continue to do a solid job at right-back, but I'd have been very surprised 
um, at the number of appearances when we had Klein um, in the squad as well. So, yeah, I'm surprised, but pleasantly so. I'm delighted that he's, you know, made it to 10 years. And, you know, I, if it, is, it has been his last appearance for the club, then, you know, I mean, he's been a great servant and someone who definitely deserves, you know, a proper testimonial celebration because he's been a star for us. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with with Chris. Um, you know, I think he's had an excellent season, Joel Ward. Um, he's you know, his versatility is is outstanding and a massive, massive help to Palace and the squad. Um, and I think that also helps uh, to just with the transition. Just means that you don't have to go and buy certain positions. I mean, Palace are looking at buying centre backs this summer. Uh, I think you've seen that. That is a requirement. That is a necessity to to bring in someone at centre back, a third centre back. Um, but I think that for the most part, he he's done a really good job there. He's done a good job at left back. He's done a good job at right back. Wherever he plays, he's he's done a good job. I think you know. I still think that if Palace are to progress, then they do need a a different right back, a, a more sort of attacking right back. Um, even though again, Nathaniel Klein did well. Um, He's he's had a good season himself, certainly since he came back into the team. Um, but I think that in maybe in a year's time, Palace will will certainly look to to bring another right back in. Probably wouldn't wouldn't expect it to be this summer, um, but I wouldn't rule it out. But I think yeah, given that Klein looks like he's staying, I would would probably think that it'll be next year. And I think that that is really helpful because then you can sort of prioritise elsewhere. You don't need to spend as much and then you can spend more next summer and so on and so forth. Yeah, your thoughts, Patrick, on Joel Ward. I mean, he, he got quite act towards the end of the season, didn't he? He got, got involved in a few scuffles and, um, you know, being a devout Christian, we were, we were a little bit surprised. And actually, against Man United, for the first time in all the time that he's been playing for us, I heard his name chanted. It's taken a long time. Yeah, um, I've I've always been a big Ward fan. I mean, I, I at points in the season wanted to see Klein play right back because of I feel Klein brings different attributes that I think we need as a club. You know, more like what Mitchell does as far as going forward. But what I've really liked to see was how he transitioned those last couple of matches at the centre half because, as Matt just mentioned, you know we're going to be in a market for one. Joel Ward may not be the ideal person, but the fact that he's so flexible and can play left back, now right back, obviously, and now centre-half, because that's the ability to look at other places. So, for you know, as far as transfers, but I thought he did a really good job this season. Again, um, he kept Klein out. I mean, Klein was injured, I guess, at the beginning of the season at some point, but to keep Klein out for so long, when Klein came in, you know, he, Ward still pushed him to get back into the lineup. So I think Ward's done a great job, and he deserves that testimonial next season, and deserves to, get another, you know, to be around for next year at least to, to celebrate him for another for those 10 years. Yeah, marvellous. Sorry, that little sidebar there. Back to the transfers, Matt. Um, Sam Johnson hearing reports that we're close to signing. What, what's the deal there? Because Gaeta put a tweet out last week saying he's, he's looking forward to next season, to seeing us next season. We'll have Butland, who I'm going to come on to when we when we talk about the first game of the second half of the season in a bit. Um, and um, so is there space for him? What, what's the deal there? What's, what's the inside track? Yeah, so my colleague Don Firefield wrote about this uh, this morning as we're recording, the day that we're recording this morning. Um, basically, Palace are 
looks like Palace are close to signing Sam Johnston. Um, he's out of contract with West Bromwich Albion this summer, so he'll be a free transfer, no compensation to be paid. Um, and as a result of that, they're you know, going to be listening to any offers for Jack Butland, um, is what, what Dom said. Um, so, uh, you know, Butland's future at Palace is, is uncertain. Um, it doesn't really mean anything for Vicente Guaita at the moment. Um, the the two are going to sort of fight it out to be first choice this coming season. Um, I imagine you know Guaita's got the shirt, so it's his his to lose. Um, but yeah, basically, it's uh, it, it it sounds like it's pretty close. On the mention of Butler, I'm going to start talking about some of the games in the season because because the first one we're down to do, lads, is the Brighton game. Brighton away and. First of all, um, this season I went to nearly every nearly every game. There's only a few at the end I missed it. I actually never usually do away games, and it's amazing how different it is watching Palace at other grounds. Not only just to compare our own atmosphere at Sellers to other grounds around the country, and I think only Leeds and Newcastle match it. To be honest, um, Chris, maybe you can back me up here. Um, just it's just amazing how football grips the country what a great way to see the country and um brighton away we had a lock-in now the last game they spoke about in the first match was millwall away and we were locked in after that game now the difference is that they kept the bar open didn't they chris was was brighton the best beer away game for you selling harvey's or not well in, in the ground yes um, but I'm, I'm extremely reluctant to say anything good um, about Brighton, um, the club, or Brighton, the ground, Brighton, the place. I mean, it's not as bad as Watford, frankly, even though they may well be, um, you know, bigger uh, rivals. I'm not going to say that they're, um, you know, Derby type, because um, it's not a Derby, um, but it is a rivalry. Um, but, yeah, I mean, probably on balance, they, they had the best beer, although I will say City away also had local beer available um, and that was good but almost nowhere else did um, so yeah definitely one of the more positive things but should we talk about the game as well <laughs> yeah because I think Jack Jack Butland won that game for us mm. well with the penalty of... save and coming after yeah. that mistake against Millwall um, he his name was chanted as well All right. um, can I pull you up on that how do you win a match that you drew 1-1 I'm oh, sorry yes okay <laughs> Well done. Yeah. It's been a long just season. Saying, I'm just saying. You can yeah. take, the, take the teacher out of the classroom. <laughs> yeah. It felt like a defeat, that, because, you know, having... Uh, I mean, we came away um, and obviously drove back together, didn't we, um, Nick? Um, yeah. And it was one of those ones where we'd parked outside someone's house and it was <laughs> quite a weird little setup. But... Um, you know, I'm I'm pleased we went. It was, uh, and I think we do have to replay because you know part of the purpose of these pods is to kind of, you know, remember the more memorable incidents. Smoke bomb on the pitch. Um, you know, the Brighton yes. fan running on the pitch <laughs> when they got the penalty, coding us as though they've won the game. Right. Um, then getting kicked off, probably kicked out, probably getting a ban. Note how the reaction to pitch invasions changed over the season. Great point. Um, yeah. Yeah, that guy got an absolute kick in, whereas, um, <laughs> well, actually, to be fair, the bloke Everton did as well, but he wasn't the only one. Um, you know, but actually clubs have been able to get and 
fans have been able to get away with a lot more and that's going to be one of the complications um, in terms of looking at how fans are policed and what happens in the future. Yeah. I thought we were moving in a more positive direction with regard to fan culture and that we were going to... I mean, there's even been talk that we might be allowed to drink beer inside of the pitch again. Definitely rail seating coming into some grounds, which is great. Um, but anyway, yeah, this idiot on the pitch celebrating like they've won the game. Um and then, yeah, the penalty save. So wonderful, wonderful moment. And the uh, annual ripping down of the Lewis Dunk picture outside the ground as well. Yeah. That 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 comes down every year. Um, Graham Potter, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said in the season that Brighton are two years ahead in their project of Palace. What do you make of that? Uh, Matt, what do you make of that? You know, they're two years further down the line than we are. Do you, do you view it like that or not? I mean, technically, yes, but uh, I think I think Palace have effectively just caught up with them, really. Um, yeah, sure, they, they, they finished above Palace in the league. Um, blame the capitulation at Everton for that. I think, you know, I think that's uh, the one that probably... I, I said in piece, in my season review piece, it would be churlish to, to really be disappointed by anything this season, but I suppose if you were to pick a disappointment... Um, to and to some extent, then you know, allowing Brighton to finish above Palace because of that capitulation at Everton um, would be one of them. Obviously, the uh, throwing away of of the at the Sellers uh, as well. But um, yeah, to, to come back onto the point, I think um, I think Palace's recruitment has been very very sensible. Has been excellent as we touched on before. Uh, it's exactly what the club needed. Um, not only for the team, for the squad, but for the fans, um, especially coming back in after COVID, where they were locked out, um, and trust me, watching games with a few hundred people in in a ground is really not an enjoyable experience. Um, I can only imagine that it's a lot worse. Well, I, d- I don't need to imagine. I did watch them on TV as well, but uh, it was horrific. But I think the fact that that Palace have recruited so well, so recruited some young players, dynamic young players with resale value suggests to me that they're certainly sort of moving towards where Brighton have been doing for the last couple of years. Um, I think Brighton also recruit at a younger age and a younger level, like sort of for their under 23 side. Um, And Palace are doing that now as well. Their, Their plan is to go out and, by sort of the best young players um, from other clubs um, as well. So I think Palace have actually probably caught up with them, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, I might not be a very popular opinion. I'm actually a very big Graham Potter fan. I like the way they play. But if they're two years ahead, they finished ahead of us by three places. They had one more match than we did. They had a negative two goal difference, and we had a plus four. So if they're two years ahead, in two years, we'll be about, eight paces ahead of them. So <laughs> that's fine with me for them to be ahead now. But like I said, I think that, um, you know, the whole Brighton Palace thing, this season, I did, it didn't bother me that, um, you know, they finished ahead of us. But just going to that match for one, you talked about, you know, the beer and the and the smoke bomb. That goal that we scored was absolutely, I think that should have been a goal of the season. To think that all 11 oh, players yes. touched that ball. And then, and then, mm. and then, you know, the play by Ward, the run by Joel Ward, we just spoke about, and then the the the, the pass by Schlupp, and then the finish by by Gallagher was so so good. To me, that goal made that match very memorable for me. It really was a, it was a brilliant, brilliant goal. 
Yeah, completely. I think also the fact that the rest of the game wasn't the best either. <laughs> like point. I think Palace yeah. played particularly well that day. Um, so I think that actually made it ten times better. Yeah, almost in the in the way that the Benteke goal after our useless <laughs> performance the season before oh, in an em- yeah. empty stadium. We seem to do it against Brighton, didn't we? Uh, look, we played well against Liverpool when they beat us three one at Salah's time. I'm just going to skip over that because uh, I'm I'm just aware of time. Um, one of the questions I've got down for you, Matt, is how do other journalists view Palace? And the reason I'm asking you at this point is our next game was at home to Hartlepool in the FA Cup. And Palace got a lot of good press by providing free coach travel. And in fact, there's sort of been a bit of a loving. And if we went back to 1986, where you had those two team hats, I, I think I had a Crystal Palace Dundee ski hat. Uh, people would be wearing Crystal Palace Hartlepool United because we've almost twinned with them. <laughs> um, I don't know how much you see of other journalists at the Athletic Matt. But what what's what are their opinions of Palace as outsiders? How how are we viewed by others? Well, we cover every Premier League club, so like most majority of the time, I'm with with a colleague at every game um, for the most part. So, you know, I think for the, I, I don't think I've heard a bad word against Palace um, from from anyone. If I can you know, recall back as many games as, as there's been. Um, I think everyone's been really impressed and I think everyone's been very surprised by the resurgence under Fiera and how well it's gone. I think everyone on the outside, as as we sort of touched on earlier, was expecting him to fail completely and Palace to be sort of favourites for relegation. So I do think that's worked in their favour. Um, but, you know, everyone seems to be really positive about Palace and about the way that the players and 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 Fiera conduct themselves, as far as I've experienced from my colleagues and you know from just seeing things and and hearing things, I think for the most part it's it's very positive. That's good to know, but I don't know. It makes you almost want to be not liked a little bit to give us a little bit of a bite, as Patrick said on a pod about three weeks ago. I just want us to win one thing. I mean, I was chatting with my son Bromley. Well done to Bromley for winning the. Uh, FA Trophy. Yeah, good for them. Um, is that bigger than the ZDS? Have Bromley actually no, not yet won a bigger trophy than we have? <laughs> no, don't say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so well done, but well done, Andy Woodman and that lot. I've been over yeah. there a couple of times. Right, the next game is a very, very important game for me in the season. Um, being that we got there about fifteen minutes before the game, thanks to um. DR's driving away to Norwich City. Now, okay, we could talk about um, Wilf slipping with his penalty. The first thing, just to jump in and interrupt you, Nick, um, the one thing that stands out to me about that game is is not the penalty miss, is not anything like that. It's the fact that's the first time I heard the Vieira song. You you just stole my thunder (laughs) in the the concourse. Absolutely, that's exactly what I was going to say, and it, it's been in my brain ever since. Uh, what a super song! It was a bit weird against Man United, actually. It got sung a couple of times, but nobody had thought what the last line would be in advance. So, yeah, I couldn't uh, work out whether that was like the same song or not. Exactly yeah. the same words. Yeah, 
But yeah, I Premier League wasn't was it not just Palace going up the Premier League is what I saw someone people saying that that would be oh, what yeah. you could change it to. Yeah, but um, yeah, Palace the favourite second team of journalists in the Premier League. I don't know. Um, we could have that. Um, so yes, that that's what I was going to say. Um, Another one of those games, it reminded me a bit of the Leeds game and the fact it was frustrating in the fact that we thought we could tonk them but didn't actually. What what was missing in those games? Because we had a nil-nil against... In fact, let's cover the nil-nil against Brentford as well. Um, We looked toothless in the final third, didn't we? And that seemed to be a theme throughout the season. Definitely. Great build-up, but not actually able to put the ball in the onion bag. Yeah, I think... um... That 100% has been a, a frustration this season. Vieira's mentioned it so many times in press conferences. Um, you know, I think that word frustration is is the one that he's said the most, probably the most this season, actually, um, in a season of progress and positivity. He's probably used the word frustration the most, um, yeah. which I think speaks to how uh, high his standards are and how demanding he is of his players. Um so, yes, uh, it was a very disappointing pair of games. Um, I thought the Norwich one, not quite so much. Um, the Brentford one, I did not enjoy any of that. I did not enjoy the experience of the stadium. I don't like that stadium. Um, I didn't enjoy the game. I you know, didn't enjoy the feeling of, of everything. I suppose the one good thing uh, was, was, of course, Christian Eriksen. Um, but uh, other than that... Um, I think, as you say, it was just just not having any threat in the final third. But it wasn't it wasn't like that. Palace haven't missed a lot of chances this season. That's not what the problem's been. The problem's been making the right decision at the right time. Um, obviously, we'll come on to this. I'll very very briefly say odds on Edouard probably summed it up in in the Man United game. Um, the number of times he ran into blind alleys. But um, I think throughout the season and, and particularly in those two games, the decisions when the ball was in the final third, just weren't weren't there, weren't quite right. I'm not going to lie, the Brentford game, I can't remember at all because A, it was my birthday and B, I got on a, a boat that sold booze at 10 o'clock at Waterloo uh, that morning. Uh, somehow blagged our way into the ground after our tickets didn't work. But it was absolutely fantastic. Patrick? So two things. Um, one thing that was kind of the time when Mateta was starting to come on a little bit. He had scored the goal against Millwall, obviously, so he hadn't quite, you know, gotten to the heights he ends up getting at the end of the season. And two, Nick, that was when you started moaning about how Palace couldn't win an away match. Remember that? You were moaning about yeah. Norwich and all the other games. And then, and then finally, obviously, we'll come on to it. Watford. You, got, you finally got an away win, but you were actually a jinx for that early part of the uh, season, weren't you? I wouldn't say that I was a jinx, but yeah, I was beginning to feel that way. I picked the wrong season to go to every game. But no, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything. So what did we change there? Obviously, things weren't happening. Um, the game after that, we did quite well, didn't we? Was um, No, it was a very close game against Chelsea, which we could have won. And again, in, in fact, let's let's talk about games against top teams. Because we're going to come on to Arsenal in a bit, but that was one of the performances of the season, beating Arsenal 3 0. The fact that Arsenal celebrated like they'd won when they equalised against us uh, back in November. Man City not beating us. Edward's incredible debut 
beating Tottenham 3 0 at Sellhurst. Were there, were there any other teams that were as good against the big big four as we were? Because, you know, we seem to be having more trouble against lower teams than we did against higher teams. It's incredible. As a trade unionist, I'm always taught never ask a question unless you know the answer. Um, in this case, I don't <laughs> think anyone does. <laughs> <laughs> This is true. It's, it's the Palace way. I mean, I stood the, the, the long miss Sean Hughes in, in his first book, uh, wrote about being a Palace fan and how they were just, it's all, all the time that he supported and there'd be a sublime moment of skill followed by a moment of complete ineptitude. And that either happens over a whole season or within a two-minute spell of a game. And it's always been that way with Palace. And, yeah, I think we saw that a couple of times against Man United. So, our next game that comes up on our list is Watford 1, Crystal Palace 4. Now, should we talk about Roy? Should Roy at Watford, the difference between... Roy at Watford, Roy at Palace. Why does Ray Lewington suddenly start wearing long trousers? Yeah, that was sure. that was strange. Uh, and also, you couldn't hear him as often during during lockdown when you know, you're behind closed doors. Yeah. One of the only things you could hear was <laughs> him screaming, was, you know, Ray just shouting, shouting. And what I quite in, what I found quite interesting was that it was just encouragement for the most part. It was like pretty simple tactical instructions, and it was encouragement. Um, but yeah, obviously changing into trackies rather than shorts. Um, I think that's what what did for Watford, to be honest with you. Um, but that game was that game was a big game. I think um, I think that was a big game because I think the two preceding games against Norwich and Brentford um, that Palace had been expected to win, um, particularly coming off, um, I think. Palace were in decent form, relatively decent form at that point as well. Um, but certainly those were the games where you look at it, you're like, right, uh, sorry, not in decent form. I don't think they were sorry, I don't think they were in decent form. I think that was the problem, was that the form was very patchy at that point, I think. It was, definitely. Um, yeah, it was. Uh I think it was very patchy, wasn't it? Yeah. So uh I think therefore the two games that you like, right, this is where you can put a run of games together, and then actually you just don't really have any cutting edge. You don't have any any of that energy and intensity that you showed through so much of the season has has disappeared against two teams that you'd think you would be able to play it, to to do it against. Um, and I think you know there was you know there was an element of pressure on the team and on the manager. You know, having been through that period where you're struggling for wins and then you don't beat two teams you're expected to coming into that Watford game. If Palace had lost that game, then questions would very much have been asked. Um, and it was, a, again, it was a goal from a corner, wasn't it? Um, which again is, is a symptom of the season, which did improve as the season went on. Um, another thing that you can be, you know, pretty crediting Palace for is, is working on that and generally rectifying that. Um, but it was a really, really, really important game to win, and and you know I think they showed uh, desire in that game, and they showed that they were actually capable of of coming back and and fighting for a win, even if it was relatively easy in the end. Yeah, I mean, t- 
to be fair, Watford were the definition of abject, and they they, they didn't. There was no atmosphere in the ground. Um, the players didn't seem up for it. The crowd weren't up for it. Roy wasn't up for it. Um, and it was just capitulation. I mean, they they, they equalised me for. Oh well, sorry. Excuse the dog in the background. Um, they could they equalised, but they capitulated. It was just. Were it not Watford, you'd feel sorry for them. But but it was they were just. It's like they'd given up. But I will. It really was like they'd given up. But I will say, Nick, a couple of those goals we scored were absolutely were great goals. Wolf's goal was ridiculously good. Gallagher's goal yeah. off the cross of Tariq was really, really good. So you said he capitulated, but there were two good goals. I mean, obviously Mateta was a deflection, but I mean, honestly, they we gave we we really put it to them. So I mean, Wolf had the two goals, but the first one was a brilliant. I mean, he repeated the same goal he scored against Norwich, you know, the match before. But you, I mean, you're right about them giving up, and they gave up early on in that season under Roy's tenure. But I have to say, in that particular match, I thought we really took it to them and we could have done that a few other times in the season and we didn't but we did I mean our finishing that game was really really good I have to say yeah the other thing is to look just at the timings of the of when the goals were scored right um you know I mean so we went ahead uh, on 15 minutes through Mateta Sissoko's headed equal us was three minutes later so you're getting you're not singing anymore um, <laughs> exactly. at you. right at you. um and that happened to us a few times this season um but the difference being Gallagher got one before half time, so that meant that Vieira was able to set up based on that. Um, that said, you know, if you actually look at when the next two goals are, it's eighty-five minutes and ninety minutes. So while it looks like a tonking, and it was, you know, the scoreline was two-one until five minutes to go. Right. So you know, I mean, we came out of it absolutely buzzing, and you know, I mean, memories of walking down um, the—I I have no idea what the roads around there are called. I mean, they're unpleasant places that thankfully we won't have to be in for at least <laughs> another two years. So. Oh, Christopher! <laughs> I'm bloody delighted about that. I did, I did um, quite also. I, I quite also enjoyed uh, the fact for the uh, for the Gallagher goal from the Mitchell cross was that. It was the second time cross. The first one got blocked, and you hear all the waves. <laughs> exactly, and the yeah. And then the next one's perfect, and he scores. <laughs> that was, I remember, yeah, that was great. Yeah, what's the opposite of a shout-out? Shout-out for, for Watford not selling beer. What's that all about? You know, you can have a half-time beer. Um, I think it's because the concourse is too small. Ah. Oh, I know. Interesting. There's, yeah, I mean, there's... Away, away grounds. I mean, Liverpool, ridiculous, ridiculous for a top stadium. No room to move there. Um, Man City is all right, um, but Sellers, the town's too in... small, mate. It's just an industrial estate with a station. There's, there's a Weatherspoons. That's the only pub of note. There's a couple of others. I went to one about two, three years ago with uh, Mike from the podcast as well. Um, and when and that was because the HF had got our tickets for us. Um, and when we were, we met them, and there was there was a police van outside the pub, um, and that is one of I think about three pubs that you can find that are within walking distance, and I mean long walking distance as well. If you don't win at that ground, it's a very depressing trudge back to the station. Um, that wasn't the experience this time because we were singing Super Pat Vieira. Um, and we decided, actually, sod this, we're not going to get the early train. We're going to jump jump in the spoons and have a couple of pints and enjoy looking at the morose Watford fans' faces. It was, it was a good night. Yeah, I queued in a car park for an hour that night, trying to get out. 
but other than that, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Um, we played Burnley, who were kind of resurgent. Looked like they might be on a bit of a comeback on their on their manager bounce for their one all. Then our next game saw um, a certain Mr. Riedervald turn up trumps as we uh, we beat Stoke two one on a. Very weird to have an FA Cup match on a Tuesday night. I know they're trying to squeeze everything in to close the season out, but it didn't feel right. Um, any news on Gyro? Do we know what's happening over the summer? Is he is he out of contract? Is he looking at re-signing? Is he is he in plans? Do, what do we know, Matt? Um, Palace are certainly looking to to offload Gyro Riedewald. Um, they you know were more than happy to to listen to offers if they came uh, in January. Um, I think there was a point, uh, was it last season where, uh, German side, was it Paderborn or Hanover? I can't remember which team, um, were, were considering signing him, but uh, it didn't quite come off. Um, it's been a weird one with him. I just don't think he's good enough to be honest with you. Um, I know a lot of people will disagree with that. I didn't think he was as good as left back as people felt he was. I think he won that player of the month award, not by default, but because he hadn't played for so long, he didn't really have anything. I guess he did have something to prove and and he did well enough. He was capable enough, but I didn't think he did anything particularly outstanding. Um, uh, Obviously this wasn't this season, was it? It was last season. Um, But my point stands. Um, but, uh, But I just think with him, he's just not really got any outstanding attributes i'm not really sure exactly what he does he's maybe obviously signed under frank de boer good in a, a back three perhaps as a as a center back in a back three um obviously very good on the ball is probably his, his best attribute is how good he is on the ball um but i just palace are just more than more than happy to move on from him so i have to Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Two questions, actually. One about Gyro. Um, so you mentioned just now about the back three. And as the season went on, I'd love to see that Vieira went to a back three. So do you think next year possibly he could fit in more because of that back three? I mean, in theory, yes, but in reality, absolutely not. Okay. No, it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't checked, but did, there are probably games where he didn't even make the bench quite a lot of the time, right? That's very, season. very true. Absolutely, uh, yeah. You know, so, yeah, no. In, in theory, yes, I can see your logic, but in reality, it just won't happen. Okay. And then my other question was about that Stoke match. My biggest uh, memory of that was Tayo's um, debut. 
So I'm a very, very, very big uh, advocate of our academy. So with that in mind, I know towards the end of the season, you know, Vieira had mentioned getting more playing time for, for Tayo and um, for uh, Raksaki, it didn't happen. So what do you think um, going forward, the future looks like for players actually getting time in the first team from the academy? Yeah, good question. Very good question. Um, I wrote a big piece um, in October about the uh, the new academy, the redevelopment of the academy on the opening day. Um, and I wrote a piece a few weeks ago uh, after Palace's under-15s were defeated in the National Floodlit Cup final, having uh, you know, been defending champions. Um uh, Sean Derry's son was playing in that game played quite well to be fair um, he uh, yeah so uh, to, to come on Teo Adramola is, is was one of those defending champions as well which which is kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. because I mean it was three years ago but um, Ak- yeah, still is, yeah. yeah good team that was Mooney yeah he's yeah. still a scholar so um, you know, it's easy to forget that he is still technically, he won't be next season, but he is still technically a scholar. So he's under 18. Uh, he'll be an under 23 next year. Um, I can see him certainly being kept around in the squad um, and sort of effectively being back up for Tyreek Mitchell um, and playing under 23s again. Um but the the big this is where the big decision and and this is what I wrote in my piece was that now is the time for Dougie Freeman for uh, I suppose technically Rob Quinn in the under 18s although less so because he's under 18s but Paddy McCarthy in the 23s and Gary Isett the academy director like this is a time where they've got um, and obviously Patrick Vieira as well they've got to make a decision they've got to say well you know if the if you if Patrick Vieira can guarantee that they can train with the first team a lot. Um, and that they will get some minutes, then I think they'll stay. Got you. Um, if that can't happen, then the likelihood is they'll go out on loan. There was, an, un, there was sort of a feeling from Palace that they made a wrong decision not to loan Jezra and Raksaki out in January. Um, obviously, he's kind of got his pathway a bit blocked by Michael Elise and Jordan Noyu. Right. Um, you know, I wrote a piece about Jezra and obviously came and made his first made his full debut uh against Manchester United, which I gotta say was quite unexpected. Um but uh good on the C V though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, think, you know, like, I thought he yeah. I thought you could see that he hadn't played many games. Exactly. Obviously yeah. like hadn't been out on loan at all and 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 you could see that there was more to come from him and there will be more to come from him. But I think, you know with young players it's just about working out what's best for the development and one one size fits all approach never works in my opinion. I think you have to base it on the player, the person, and that's what Palace will do. And I think you can certainly expect if Jezra Rakzaki does stay, uh, then he will get games. But I reckon and and this isn't really based on anything I've heard, but my instinct says that he'll go out on loan and that'll probably be to a championship club. Okay. Um maybe for the first six months and then you see what happens and potentially then if he doesn't get games, I'm not saying he won't, but if he doesn't then you put him put him down to a League One club potentially. And I, I would think that there'll be plenty of clubs looking at him. Uh Jack Wells Morrison as well. Um, you know, I think he'll be around the squad. 
Um, but again, might benefit from going out on loan. I wonder whether physicality might be an issue for him. He's not the biggest. Um, you know, Joe Whitworth in goal is really difficult for goalkeepers. Um, so yeah, like there, there's a lot of really, really good talent um, sort of in that under 23 squad who are actually really under 18s other than Raksaki. Um, and a lot of, uh, although will be first year pros this coming season. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what does happen. So with that in mind... It's, it's, sorry, just, Nick, sorry, before you come in, Patrick. Um, just, just talking about Gyro again and kind of linking up the academy thing was... I, I read somewhere that Gyro was great with the kids in actually bringing them through and nurturing them and, and teaching yeah. them about life as a footballer. And I'm, I'm going to link this to weirdly to the death of Andy Fletcher in, in Depeche Mode, who, who wasn't their best musician, but was actually, you know, RIP Andy Fletcher. I saw him back in the day, but he was the bloke that held the, held the band together. Without him, there wouldn't have been a Depeche Mode, yet he was a lot inferior musically to the others. So, you know, a lot of these players like Martin Kelly, we don't know about how important they are, even if they're not playing, to, to actually mm. keeping keeping the the whole, well, the ethos of the side going, but actually keeping it going. Because, you know, when you've got a training match, you've still got to have 11 against 11. Yep. And you can only put 11 out on the pitch. So if you've got these players that are happy to be side bit players, that's brilliant. And, um, Maybe undervalued, I don't know, but I just had to say that because, you know, you, you kind of wrote off Gyro a little bit there, I felt, Matt. Yeah, no, that's fair. I completely, you know, I should have mentioned that as well, in fairness. Like, he has been very good for the likes of Tyreek Mitchell as well. Um, and he has been very good for the young players. I think they've all mentioned him as well. So, you know, to be fair to Gyro, like, he has had a, an impact even if he hasn't necessarily had an impact on the pitch, he's had an impact with his attitude. His attitude, as far as I'm aware, has been perfect. Um, his approach, his mentality. So certainly no question there. It's only a matter of the fact that he doesn't fit in on the pitch. Um, but I don't think you can be too sentimental in keeping players simply because they're good around the place. Um, yeah. To yeah. some extent, yes, you can. Like If there's like a question mark where you're like, well, this guy's good, but not quite good enough, but actually let's give him another year because he can help transition the, the young players in, then you know, by all means do it. But don't think that's really the way they see it with Gyro. So I just want to add, if you haven't had a chance yet to see the coming of age um, documentary on Palace TV, you have to watch it. It's really, really, I've been watching it just, uh, the first three episodes. It's really, really good. It gives you a really great background on the U18 season last year. There's a little bit in there at the end of the under 23 season when they won, got promoted. But if you get a chance, you should really give it a little watch because it's really great insight. And Paddy McCarthy with those kids is brilliant. He really is. Him and Darren Powell are great. So. Right, going to move on to um, another three results in March. Chris, what do you think of these three results? I'd, I'd argue this is our best run. Away at Wolves 2-0, drawing 0-0 at home with Man City and then thrashing Everton 4-0 in the Cup. Uh, what do you think? Well, Best um, one? I think, yeah, I mean, objectively, you've got to say, you know, that's... I think Matt had already said the turning point was earlier and I think he's right. Um, but, you know, this is a run that, you know, gives incredible confidence and, you know, one where we stop really, in my opinion, looking back behind us and you know start looking forward and looking up the table which is you know what we 
ought to be doing and certainly aspire to be doing, but haven't always been able to, certainly not over the last four years. Um, it's very much been a, you know, not getting relegated is enough um, has been um, the view from some around our club, including myself to a certain extent. Um, <laughs> Wolves away, um, you know, showed what we could do. I mean, it's certainly in the first half, um, you know, it was a dominant performance, um, you know, great goal um, from Mateta. And, you know, the, the I mean, the only thing I would say is that the, it was difficult to get the atmosphere going because it's, it's a very wide stand at Wolves. Um, so very, very narrow. Um, so even if songs were sung, they were massively out of time with each other. And that, that was chaotic. Weirdly, that didn't really come across from the press box. I was sat <laughs> directly opposite you in the upper tier, at the bottom of the upper tier. And uh, if you're scared of heights, don't ever go there because <laughs> there's a big drop. Um, it's quite a sheer drop. Um, but uh, I, I actually thought the, the atmosphere at Wolves was pretty good. I quite enjoyed the atmosphere at Wolves. Um but I do see what you're saying. And I think that's the case in a lot of stadiums as well. I think it wasn't quite the case at Villa, but it has been in the past. Mm. I know we'll come on to that. Yeah, Villa was a weird game, but for reasons we'll talk about. The word I'd use against Wolves is panache. Mm. We just, we just, no, I mean, how did, was that uh, the one where he just, chip the ball over the keeper and you had to watch it 17 times to work out how, how he'd actually done it. Mateta. That's the one. The striker conundrum. While we're, while we're on Mateta, Patrick, Matt, who's who's the first choice striker going forward next season, given that we probably won't have Gallagher, so that's going to, might change the way. We, think, and very quickly, because I'm just, I'm just thinking about time. For me, per- I think that- for me personally, I think Mateta uh, fits a system uh, better than Edward. I'd love to see Edward play and produce, but you're talking about that, sh- that stretch there uh, of, of matches. That was that was the time when Mateta started coming to his own again, and he just he just never really stopped yeah. being, you know, producing either in a couple in the league. So for me, it's Mateta, but I'm happy to prove wrong if, if uh, Edward gets 20 goals next season. Yeah, I'm not convinced by either of them, if I'm honest with you. Um, Mateta is one that Palace weren't Palace didn't know what to do with either, I don't think. Um, I think there was a, an element of what do we do with this guy? Like, do we sign him permanently? Do we send him back? I think he, even up until they signed him, like shortly before, they were very much considering whether to send him back and potentially sending him back uh, to Mainz. Uh, but I think they saw enough in him to make that deal permanent. And you know, if if come the end of the season, he had scored more goals, I think... They may well have considered selling him if there was interest in him. Uh, I think it was a value decision, someone that you can keep around and and hope that he scores some goals. And then potentially, if 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 he's done that, then then you can sell him. But Edward for me is a, a left sided player. Agree. Um, Agree. Best there. Yeah. But Vieira says he's a number nine. Ask Vieira that question directly. Vieira's pretty pretty certain that he's a number nine so I'll, I'll bow to his experience and his knowledge but I don't see it really yeah what do you think Chris I really like Edward um I think he's been most effective at, from the left you know there have been times where I've you know where I've, I've thought hang on who is that because you know you don't see him that many times and his shirt number isn't one that I'm used to seeing and the speed where he cuts in from the left and then you know plays a one-two with someone 
and actually has the directness to have a shot, um, that marks him out compared to some of the other attacking players that we have. Um, so I really like him. Um, I think he can do a job centrally, but that requires ball-to-feet play that we haven't been doing this season. Now, if we reorient our game, you know, if other, other players leave, especially influential players who cross the ball, um, and I could see him linking up with Elise really effectively, for example, um, in due course. Um, and it, it depends on who our new midfielders are. So I really, I think Edouard definitely has a future at the club um, and a positive one. But for now, Mateta is the target man and that's the way that we play at the moment. So, Matt, I've got to ask you this question. Um, clearly, Vieira rates Zaha as a striker also. So, if you've got Zaha, Matete and Edouard, where does that leave Benteke for next season? And Plange. Oh, yeah, Luke Plange. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Plange will go back out on loan. Um, oh, okay. Uh, maybe not immediately, but I don't see a reason why you wouldn't send him back out on loan under 23 football. There's no benefit to him playing under 23 football. Uh, he's not ready for the Premier League. Hasn't played that many games in the Championship. Not can't say I've seen him, but like just don't see how he's ready for the Premier League. But I Sahara in the middle is very funny because he hates it. Clearly, um, Vieira sort of says this, and <laughs> I think he said it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, everything that he says and does points to the fact that he's so much better in a roaming role in the middle, 100%. like where he can play on the left as well. I miss him running at players down the wing. I know he's done it a bit this season, but I miss him running at players at full speed down the wing. But, you know, when I interviewed him in 2020, I think it was 2020 um, at the end of, it was like November to December, 2020, something like that. Um, he spoke about being more efficient um, basically, you know, he he's learned to to save his energy rather than like doing all those runs and that he's he's got into better positions and he's learned to do that and to get shots away where he's not exhausted by the end of it. And I think that's really helped him with his best best return this season, uh, you know, best goal scoring return. But the hints were there um, back in twenty twelve. Wolves away, two goals, playing sent playing as a uh, striker in the middle, um, (laughs) you know, turning, turning a defender and, and smashing it in and, you know, two very accomplished goals. And uh, yeah, I I really like him in that kind of free role slash sort of center, center forward slash left wing role where he can just do whatever he wants. And I think that's the best thing for him and him and Vieira have a really good relationship. I know that, you know, Vieira, uh, really likes him. Um, you can tell that he thinks he's a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes. But then, you know, who doesn't think that of Wilf? Um, True. You know, but the best thing about Wilf is his determination to win. Absolutely. People outside of Palace don't understand this. Even even people at Palace, you know, Palace fans, I don't think understand that his petulance stems from wanted, this hatred of losing exactly, to win. and this hatred of being dispossessed of the ball and his frustration at his teammates not doing what he wants. And I again, like I spoke to his teammates for a piece on his early years um, and, and his coaches and they said exactly that same thing. Um, but, but I just want to end on what Ibra Sakaya said about him. Um, famously scored the goal that kept Palace up against Hull 
in 2011, I think it was, um, under Friedman. Um, he basically said that if if Palace were in the Champions League, then Wilf would absolutely love to stay at Palace because it's not about wanting to leave Palace as such. It's about wanting to be the best that he can be. And that's what is that is what yeah. Wilfred Zaha is about. It's about being the best that he can be. And I think that's really important for people to remember that. Yeah, I don't think there's a single Crystal Palace fan that wouldn't begrudge him going off somewhere and um, you know trying 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 to win medals. I'm I'm aware of time. Um, are you okay to carry on, Matt? Yeah, absolutely fine. Yeah, okay. Then, Having said yeah. that, we could probably speed through a few of these results, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was, and um, we'll have a dog in the background. Well. <laughs> this, 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 this is the chaos in the background. We'll have a production meeting in the middle. I was thinking of making uh, the end of season thing a free part because we've still got ten games to talk about. <laughs> but um, what do you think? Well, you, you asked me about that three-game run. So City yeah. at home, um, you know, we gave them a run for their money, could have beaten them, or and we could have lost it, you know. But there are very few teams that don't even concede a goal against them um, in a season. There's um, no one and, you know, done it, by the way. No yeah. one has done it besides Crystal Palace. So that's how great it was. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's success. Um, so I think that that's all we need to say on that one. Um, yeah. Yeah, great performance. We can speed on to Arsenal. Um, again, very, very good performance. I'm not going to say much about the win apart from the fact that, you know, it was it was a good performance and we deserved to win the game. Um, you know, it was markedly different to the time when we played um, a side um, that was weakened when we were playing against um, the, uh, uh, in the, the late Arsene Wenger period when we were singing, we want you to stay. Um, you know, we were the best <laughs> team then, but it was, you know, this was different. Um, and the second thing that was memorable about that is that we had uh, Danny Rojas from Ted Lasso came and joined us in Blocky, um, which was right? a very wow. special occasion for us. Very nice. So that was cool. Just very quickly from me, um, the Everton game stood out because that was when Palace had Saha, Gallagher, Olise and Eze yes. on the pitch. first time. Um, yeah. The first time from the start. Yeah. Um, and it worked brilliantly. Um, I'm not sure you could do that. Can, you know, for the forever, but uh, that was great. And then the Arsenal game for me was certainly up there as one of the best performances I can remember in the Premier League from a Palace team. Yeah, because you've got to remember, Arsenal were much improved from when we'd played them earlier on in the season. Um, so, yeah, that was a very, very good result. And then then we we went through a spell of we're in the Cup semi-final, so let's focus on that. So, um, saw us lose 2-1 up in Leicester, the highlight of which was me finding out that Paul Weller was playing up there at De Montfort Hall and there was a pub with nice roast dinners. Um, yeah, you had two Patrick, dinners in that pub, didn't you? I, I, I had a dinner before the game and a dinner after the game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Patrick. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, since we're on the Chelsea match, we can gloss over the actual match because I'm heartbroken at that loss. But I want to ask Matt, so Harrison Blitzer, at the highly publicized interest in buying Chelsea. Um, I know a little about them because over in America, they own the 76ers, the basketball team, and the uh, New Jersey Devils uh, hockey team. Sixers are okay. Mm-hmm. Devils are absolutely putrid as far as that. So the people aren't really in love with them over here. So how do you think that their interest is going to affect you know, the board level? Are they going to be leaving, do you think? What's going on with those two? 
Uh, yeah, good question. Um, hopefully, uh, Dom and I will write something about this in due course, but um, I think it's awkward. Yeah, it's naturally awkward. Um, you're, you're kind of caught flirting with another club, well, not even flirting, like outwardly sort of looking at another club and and, and try and spy them and offering for them. Yeah. Um I think that's really awkward. I think that's really difficult. I don't see how you... There's certainly questions about how you come back into the Palace boardroom and, and you know, uh, and sort of get it's, on with everything. And it's like you're ever catching you looking at Tinder, isn't it, really? <laughs> Tinder. But, you know, it's... it's, it's I, I don't know. It's... um, What can you do? Because, obviously, the... the they're going to be reticent to put up money to buy players, aren't they? I mean, it, 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 can they be frozen out? Can I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, I think, I think that is the thing. Is is what happens next? Is what do they want to do? Is there a way that they? I, I certainly know that they've enjoyed this season a lot more than they did. Right, previous. Yeah, I'm sure everyone did, yeah. but certainly they did. Um, you know, I think it's no secret that they weren't overly enthusiastic about Palace in terms of, you know, sort of attending games and, and, and being, you know, they're businessmen, right? They're not football fans right. necessarily. They're businessmen 100%. who, you know, whereas Steve Parrish is a football fan who's also a businessman. Uh, Steve Browett's a football fan who's also a businessman. Um, yeah, I mean, John Texter, I, I would put in a totally different character uh, ca- category, but, um, you know, these guys are businessman first and foremost it's 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 almost like this is a thing that they can afford to just sit back and and see what happens obviously they're not going to want to lose money don't get me wrong but you know they have the money they're they're so wealthy that it's not the worst thing in the world um they gone really the, like um gone are the days when your local mobile phone done well businessman owned your club isn't it or your, your carpet salesman um i was going to ask you about steve Parrish. he's been chairman for 2010 to what's that 12 years he's mcsuring is a chairman now isn't he and you, you're talking about john tex so i know he's uh with he's brought into brazilian club uh botafogo and uh portuguese club as well so it's kind of diluting which which tells me that actually john texter who knows a bit about running clubs He's very happy with the way that Steve Parrish is doing things. Um, what's your assessment of how Parrish has changed the way he's, he's doing stuff? Yeah, I think any, anything, you know, experience, you learn a lot from experience, don't you? Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I think bringing, bringing Dougie Freeman back in as sporting director seems to have gone very well. They seem to work together well. Um, I think he's got the club's, best interests at heart it's his club he wants to build a legacy doesn't he? he's already built a legacy I think you know I'm not saying that there wasn't a legacy before this but the academy is going to be his legacy I think um obviously the stadium what happens with that is is very much up in the air but um I, I think he would like to do that uh and and that also be part of his legacy but I think in terms of success, no, no other chairman, as as far as I can tell and and work out and remember um, from from reading and that, like I don't think any other chairman could claim to have had such success um, in in their tenureship. And at some point, he'll go. At some point, whenever that could be in a few years, that could be in ten years. But he won't be here forever. Uh, I think he's very ambitious as well. 
Um, but I think he loves Palace. And I think whatever happens, that is going to be the forefront of his mind if he sells, if he was ever to sell his stake or if he was ever to sort of get the club was to get bought out properly, then I think, you know, he would make sure that the club's future was secure. And I think the the way that the, the structure of the ownership works helps that as well. No one can outvote each other. No one can outbid each other in that yeah. sense. Um, so yeah, there's, um, he certainly learned a lot and he's, he's, you know, I think there's some luck along the way, but who who doesn't need luck and who doesn't have luck? But he's made some really good decisions as well. Yeah, and uh, it's good that he understands that he's a custodian. And uh, if you've got a chairman that knows that, that, that that's half the battle, isn't it? Wembley, Sunday, April the 17th. Conor Gallagher couldn't play. Did it make a difference? I don't know. That first half in the semi-final, Chris, we looked like we, we could possibly do something, didn't we? We did. We went wrong in that in second retrospect, half. In retrospect, we were set up too cautiously. Um, we didn't play with the panache that we know that we can. Um, and eventually, you know, they got their big guns out. Um, you know, a former Palace lad, of course, in Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and that was what changed the game um, for me. Uh, you know, disappointing, but a special day out and a, hopefully a sign of things to come um, from Palace that we got that far. Um, and next year, let's make sure that, you know, we don't end up playing a team who we've loaned our um, joint best player from um, at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> what was the feeling inside the club after that defeat, Matt? Because obviously you've, you've, you're going to be going, but there's got to be a certain amount of pride of, of getting that far. Okay, we didn't have to leave London on our journey to Wembley. Yeah. And we, it was a fairly easy, easy route. But, I think you summed it up there with the word pride. I think that's what people felt was pride. They felt proud at the way that the team had had you know come through, and obviously beating Millwall was was important to people. I think um, certainly it was important to the fans. Um, I think and I think that that is important to the fans is important to the the club. Patrick very 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 briefly touched on that academy documentary. Um, you know, uh, Paddy McCarthy is talking to Jack Wells Morris. A bit of spoiler here, by the way. So just quickly switch off if you don't want a spoiler. But Paddy McCarthy is talking to Jack Wells Morris and then Joe Whitworth, both Palace fans, about the Brighton game. Yeah. He asks them what it means, and and they respond both privately and in the dressing room. So I think people know basically that. If it means something to the fans, then it needs to mean something to the players and the staff. And yeah. I think Fierro knows that. And he said he needs to learn, and, and I think he has. But I think you know, there was an element of disappointment, an element of what could have been. Um, but I don't think anyone sort of was was absolutely... Uh, I think I think there was also probably an acknowledgement that maybe, the, that maybe they got it wrong in terms of the way that they set up. Um, I think people would, would agree that didn't quite go right in the second half with the setup, not changing it in the second half, the formation. Um, so I think that was an element of maybe things could have been changed earlier. All right. Patrick, anything else to add on Wembley? I mean, you didn't come over because you suddenly didn't. Um, now, the, our great story about Wembley is, is uh, Patrick. Patrick's one of your after-show rivals. I know you do a thing on The Athletic where... Um, 
you answer questions, but but Patrick does the back of the nest show reaction. <laughs> highly show competitive, with, with by the way. Called, just saying, highly competitive. But go ahead. A, a guy called T. <laughs> who, where, where does T live? Uh, in, in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis. St. Louis, right. And he actually got together a GoFundMe thing. <laughs> that was funny. To fly over to England to go to Wembley. Um. And his wife found out, and it was Easter, Easter weekend, and right. had to refund several people. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't allowed to come. That was funny. Yes. That was funny. So, disappointment against Chelsea. Then it was my last long away game uh, to a place I'd never been before. I'm glad I went to was Newcastle, but <laughs> I don't know whether it, whether it was a hangover from the game. But we just forget that game. Yeah, but under under their their Thunderbird, a likey manager. They've turned the corner and haven't even spent that much money really yet. So it's it's going to be frightening what they can do next year. Wait, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. They didn't spend any money in January. Are you are you are you sure about that? <laughs> are you sure Go they on. spent money? Go on, enlighten me, Patrick. I mean, they got Chris Wood, correct? Right. They got yeah. a right back, an England right back, and they got a Dan Byrne. Right. They got oh, I've got Dan Byrne, and they got a, a great midfielder. I mean. I think it's been a little bit more. I think it's been about 120 million, I believe. This in, right? I, I believe so. So they spent some well, that's money. That's nothing, is it, for them? <laughs> oh, going forward, it will be in retrospect. But right now, that was a lot of money. <laughs> Listen, that game, yeah. that game was frustrating. But you're absolutely right, Nick. There's no doubt that was a hangover from the FA Cup loss. Uh, my... For me, that was one of the worst games of yeah, the season. Wasn't even close. Yeah. All those stairs, me, even almost the worst, almost. All those stairs to the away end to go into what seems like a recreation of a 1970s community centre. It's got quite a nice view. It sells warm beer. No, just too many steps. Yeah. Um, and there was, it, it was, it was weird. It was a Tuesday. Was it Tuesday or Wednesday? I can't remember, but there was Wednesday. It was one of those away games where you, where you think, right, you know, I've, I've done it. Newcastle away on a Wednesday. Um, but yeah, we had a great time, didn't we? Cause of all the regional beers and whatever. Then yeah. we get to uh, Leeds United, again, a team fighting for their lives. We seem to be playing a lot of teams fighting for their lives, uh, didn't we? Um, they held us to a nil-nil, another clean sheet. And then for the first time since the early 90s, we beat Man United at Sellers. I don't think enough's been made of that. Um, if you bookend the season... Between Chelsea three, Palace nil, and Palace one, Man United nil. Um, Patrick, how, how would you sum that up in a couple of sentences? Repeat that question again, because I don't know how you skipped over. We relegated Watford. We're not going to talk about that. I'm gonna... Oh, sorry. I mean, yeah, sorry. I'm going to say that. You know, I was going to say the special treat I have, of Roy um, have... walking around the ground, right. clapping the fans. I was going to say they're too far away. <laughs> we can't <laughs> listen as much as I appreciate what Roy did for us. Sending Watford down and then how Roy reacted into that match has to be one of my highlights of the season. It has to be. It was fantastic. One, I always hate Watford. I mean, everybody does. Outside of Watford, I'm assuming. And then for Roy to not even walk across the pitch to ch- clap his own supporters and then talk to, um, was it, we were talking to Wilf and, were we talking to Wilf and, was it Tompkins? At the end of the, end of the yes. match, and said he couldn't, he didn't, yes. he said he's too far to walk over there. I mean, we can't go stuff for that, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how yeah, you... Ap- 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 apologies to Watford, Aston Villa and Everton fans. I inadvertently scrolled past you. 
I know you've been listening all all the way through to see what random Crystal Palace you've, fans think of how you've also how you missed, did against us. You've also missed Southampton, uh, which came after Leeds. Um, you wanted to. You told me not to mention that. South, Southampton was. Oh a, no! So he um, told me never to mention Southampton again. So I don't. Was well, ter- terrible Why? place. Why? Um, again, same, much like Watford, but somewhere that I'd never seen us win um, ah. until this time. Talk about so, it, Clarky. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm going to talk about it um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, I'll start with the fact it was another bloody header from memory that we conceded. So that was frustrating, but. Eze's equaliser, sweet, an important moment for him. And you could see the relief on his face. Um, so that was great. Absolutely. And then and then for Wilf to score that very, very late winner and the scenes there, um, it, it was very, very special indeed and a very happy train journey um, back for me um, and a lot of other people. Um, so, yeah, really pleased to have made it, to, made it there and finally see us win a game um, at that ground, you know, which was more of a fire drill goal, the Southampton one or or the third one against Watford? Do you think? It's a great question. It's got to be Southampton, no? Yeah, I'd say Southampton because a lot of people left when we scored the third against Watford as well. I'm just wondering yeah. who who left in. Uh, yeah. It's a great question, Nick, yeah. because when you think about the fan base, both of them hate Wolf for different reasons. The whole Ward Prowse thing with Southampton and obviously Watford and the Hornet. But you you know, I think the Southampton match was worse because, you know, he came on as a substitute. You know, we always have you know, we know how Ward Prowse winds him up. And for him to come on and score that goal so late, again, I mean a late winner for Palace and away match, limbs, I mean, that had to be to me, had to be the, the highlight at the end of the season for me was that win for sure. Yes, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll currently the wallpaper on my phone as well. Celebration of that goal. <laughs> nice, um, nice. And then the rest of my we got a one-all draw at Villa Park, um, the defeat to Everton, which was a travesty. Really, should it should that result have stood? Would it have been any different had somebody not put their fingers in Christian Benteke's face? I don't know. And then we'll get to the end of the season, Patrick. Sorry, <laughs> um, that's all right. But bookend the season between that defeat to Chelsea and uh, victory against Manchester United, who I, who I actually think are a spent force now, and it'll be years before we see anything from them. Yeah. Um. As, as far as that first game, you know, we were talking about the first game in Vieira's um era. Um. Didn't have Gallagher obviously because he's obviously a Chelsea player. Didn't have Anderson had signed but wasn't able to play. So. Baxaki got on late. So that was a an awful start. And then I remember at the end of that match, people had to have the nerve to be kept comparing him to um, uh, Frank De Boer, which I thought was embarrassing to compare Vieira after one match to De Boer's, I'll call it an uh, error, not, a, not an era, because it was that bad. But um, the United win was brilliant. I mean, you're absolutely right, Nick. They're a spent force. They've got a new manager now, so they're bound to bounce back at some point. But with City and Liverpool being so far ahead of them, they're only ever going to be going in for third or fourth place anyway, probably behind Chelsea, who now have a new owner. So to me, to beat United, the first time beating them ever in the Premier League at home was brilliant. Um, you know, uh, the man, you know, Wilf to score from a United player to score that goal was also brilliant. Capping off a great season for Wilf. So that was nice. I mean, it didn't mean much as far as the stand, you know, the uh, you know, the end of the season standings or anything as far as promotion or relegation or even getting into Europe. We almost got them relegated to the Conference League, though. 
but good old Brighton beating West Ham messed that up. But, you know, you're right. That was a good end and a good way to turn around what was really a, a terrible start. And I think, again, just to wrap it up, I think Vieira's season overall, for me, was absolutely brilliant. The cup run being the highlight, but just overall, you know, to, to the, the style of play. I mean, I hate to keep doing this, but if anybody got to watch me and Nick and DR and Chris and Mike do those watch-alongs last season under under Hodgson and how I would scream at the television, I was uh, so upset. Oh, my days. And then to have a new manager come in and be so different and so expansive and so a joy to watch, it's been brilliant for me. So I've, I've enjoyed the season immensely. I've been in passport since early 70s. My first manager ever was Burt Head. If anybody even knows who that even is, that's how long I've been a Palace supporter for. So it's been a long time. So I'm so happy. And I think the future looks bright for Palace. So I'm looking forward to it. Very short comment from me, which is simply that we started the season looking up because, uh, you know, we were at the foot of the table um, and we were literally looking up the table, but also up the pitch because we were playing the system that we've, you know, developed and learned how to play and showed that we can play now. Um, but we didn't have all the all of all of the players, as Patrick has said, and also um, we just couldn't do it, and we weren't doing it right in that first game. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time with my teeth gritted, and in some cases, my hands over my eyes as we were playing the ball sideways, pretty much on the goal line, and I couldn't understand what we were trying to do. Um, yeah, comparing it to Frank de Boer was was clearly wrong. Um, but I wasn't absolutely convinced that it was an experiment that was going to work at that stage. Um, I'm delighted that my fears on, at the start of that first game um, were not vindicated at all um, and that we, uh, in fact, performed extremely well um, through the season. You know, some lessons to learn, of course, uh, but overall, a you know a season where we saw a lot of great perfor- fun performances. The ma- that's the main thing. Watching this team was fun, and that didn't used to be the yes. case. Hundred percent. So yeah. yes, go on, Matt. Yeah, I, I agree with Chris. Um, the main thing this season has just been being able to enjoy it again um, because you know. You've got to give credit to Hodgson for what he did. No one's denying that, but it became almost intolerable at times. Um, certainly, you know, from my perspective as a writer as well, trying to find things to write about was really difficult um, and trying to engage people with that as well was difficult. Um, and to write about things when everything was so the same all the time was was really difficult and to to see that as a fan as well that that was just so again difficult to deal with but I just want to say like the Man United game was was really important to me as well because um they moved the Leeds game uh to uh what was it was it Monday night that was going to be on a Saturday they moved that really late um my dad went to the Manchester United game hasn't been all season. He's had a season ticket for, I don't know, 15 plus years in a row. Hasn't been, um, has, has been going to Palace for 60 odd years, but for various reasons, um, which won't go into specifically, but I'm sure you can work out. Um, he hasn't been able to watch Palace this season right. and that's been really shit for him. Um, and it was just really nice that he got to go for the first time since before COVID. So two years, over two years, and he got to watch Palace win. It's the first time that he'd seen so many of these players. First time he'd seen a Patrick Vieira team in person. Wow. So 
it meant a lot to me that he he got to go um and I think it was a reminder for me of what football means to people and how important that is in our lives um and how much the community aspect of things is important to us both independently and and also you know very just very quickly touch on the palace for life um foundation as well and what they're doing and um actually the highlight of the season for me off the pitch um other than than my dad getting to go was the ds eagles um and patrick fiera with them uh initially at the uh there was an event um the foundation put on um back in like maybe october um and one of the the ds eagles came and sat down next to patrick fiera and um just gave him a hug and like fiera was just so casual and genuine with him it was just such a pure moment um and then like he was taking questions from them and one of them basically uh i can't remember what the question was exactly but fiera basically said if you if we finish in the top four i'll take you out for dinner um but he also said that he would get them down for training um, to watch a training session, which he obviously then did. And that video was really pure as well. Um, and also the Made in South London campaign that they've done. Um, so those are really important things. I think, you know, we talk about the things on the pitch, but I think Vieira has shown that he understands the club. I know everyone says that about their manager, about their club's manager, but I think Vieira has shown that he understands South London. He gets it. He gets what the club's about and he gets the the the, the community aspect of it as well. Yeah, you, you you kind of preempt what my next question was gonna be, which was your moment of the season, but but you've done done that. And I'm gonna ask Patrick and Chris that in a minute, but but just to finish on Vieira, Matt, um how do you think he'll be with us for a while? And how much of a draw is he to bring players in? I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the future briefly. Clinton Morrison said to us earlier in the season about the academy being a hugely important for, for bringing players in that might have gone north to Tottenham or, or elsewhere and, and keeping them. And all right, so we're not quite like we used to be in the championship where we could bring players like Sean Scannell yeah. through and exciting players. And I kind of do miss that a little bit. And, you know, being in the Premier League, it's, they've got less chance of coming through but with the facilities we've got now they've got more chance of making it what with Palace being the first club as well to put in the whole post career yeah. thing if your career ends early uh, yeah I'm, I'm not sure quite what, quite what my question is but I'm sure you'll be able to answer it yeah so I I think Fiera is a massive draw for players um, I think anyone who comes in will be impressed by him impressed by what he's done this season, impressed by his mentality, impressed. What's impressed me is the way that he puts his playing career in a box. Patrick Fiera is not... Patrick Fiera, the the invincible Arsenal is gone. That that doesn't exist anymore. That Patrick Fiera is in the past. He's put that in a box. He doesn't, doesn't, doesn't come into play anymore. Um, you ask him if he passes things on to the players and he says, not really. Like, he does, but he doesn't do it in the way of of it being Patrick Vieira. I I won this, so listen to me. It's just occasionally passing things on that he knows. But I think for me, the important thing with him is that 
he does just want people to see him as the manager and judge him as the manager of Crystal Palace. Um, I don't think it matters that he was a uh, so successful in his playing career in in the sense of you might get with. I think it comes across with Frank Lampard and Mikel Arteta a little bit that they're maybe kind of playing on their their playing careers. Not that they're not good managers necessarily; they might well be, but. Um, how long he'll be at Palace is really hard to know. Um, you know, a lot depends, I think, on how the season starts. I think, you know, I think that he will attract interest from elsewhere if if Palace continue to do really well. Um, I think just naturally because of his name and the fact that obviously he was at City and Arsenal um, and the academy is really important. And I think he understands that. Um Admittedly, he didn't give Teo Ramona a chance despite indicating that he would. Um, he only gave Raksaki a start on the final day. But I think he is aware of the need to bring young players through. And I think he's bought into that vision that the club has. So I think overall, he understands that. And I think you know, Michael Elise in particular is, is one that sort of uh, has a good relationship with him. Wilfred Saar has a good relationship with him. Um, and I think you'll see this summer potentially that the new guys that come in will be buying into Vieira's vision as much as they will Dougie Freeman's vision. Yeah, brilliant. Patrick, moment of the season. I've kind of got, uh, I'm lumping him in too. So my first one would be the, the FA Cup run in general. Because, um, you know, like you, yeah. Nick, I've been a, a supporter for a very long time. My first FA Cup bomb was the 76-1 when we lost to Southampton. So, um, I, I just, my my desire in life is just to see Pats win a cup. If it's not the FA Cup, the League Cup. So, that run I thought was brilliant. You know, beating Millwall was great. Um, obviously, you know, Gyro's goal and or beating Everton. And then my second one would be the, um, I'm going to cluster them, the Man City um, results the the three the uh the two nil and a, and a nil nil and the Arsenal results because I have a particular dislike for Arsenal. Um, I'll give you that background very quickly. Um, Kenny Sanson, my favorite Palace player, was sold to Arsenal when I was young. And Ian Wright, my second favorite Palace player, was sold to Arsenal. So I've never been an Arsenal. I've always hated Arsenal. So to get the <laughs> to get the two two and then beat them three nil at home were my highlight of the season because, you know, just beating Arsenal. And then you go on to, you know, I hate to do this, but go on to AFTV after when they lose to Palace and have them moan and complain will always make me laugh. So um, for me, that was my highlights, the, um, those wins and the FA Cup. Yeah. My, my two highlights, going to the pretty much every game with my son. I promised him That's when brilliant. he was ill. That's brilliant. So we went home and away. And then I got ill, so we had to stop five games in. So we'll have to restart that in a couple of years. Um, but my moment of the season, away at Millwall, after the game, the bloke in the Rupert, tra- Rupert, Rupert Bear trousers and flat cap, <laughs> leaning over the edge of the Millwall stand, pointing and ranting for 15 oh, minutes no. solid, putting his fists up. It was just, just hilarious. But, but Millwall away was just surreal. It was, I've never known, all my years of going to football, I've never known anything like it, just the atmosphere, just, uh, it was visceral, visceral. And to actually turn them over and, and to see uh, see uh, Mateta just on the edge of the six-yard box, just nod it in, yeah, that was the moment of the season. Chris? There's so many to pick from. 
Um, so I won't cheat by doing loads. Um, but, you know, I mean, clearly, um, one of the things I will say is I've always wanted to do every league match of a season. And since we got in the Premier League, the first time, um, I think I went to 30 games. Um, and that's the least games I've done since we got promoted. And every time I've got to kind of 34, 35, 36, right. um, something's happened, like a girlfriend's had an operation or someone's chosen to get married or something ridiculous like that has stopped me from getting there. Um, and this year, you know, watching as this, as we get closer and closer and I'm getting 35, 36, and then a game gets moved to a Thursday night. Oh, <laughs> and no. I have to, you know, make arrangements with work to make sure that I can still go. Um, but I did it. I got to all 38 league games. That's brilliant. Um, so I'm, I'm well happy with that. That's um, brilliant. And then for us to win the last one against the team I hate most in the world, Manchester United, <laughs> um, with Wilf scoring the goal, the yeah. player that they rejected for not being good enough, bought bought him off us for peanuts, sold him um, back to us for less than that, um, and then he beats them with a you know a deserved goal. Um, just super happy, you know. I mean, it crowned a very successful season for us in terms of it just being exciting. There were lots of other moments along the way that I could double the length of this podcast with, so, but I won't, thankfully, for all you listeners um, who, if you're still listening at this stage, because um, it's been a marathon, not a marathon march, yeah. but um, a marathon show. Yeah. Um, but what a season. And yeah, so that, that was my moment of the season, actually finishing it. Yes. It was a very, very good season. I've done one of the most entertaining seasons um, that we've had for many years. I've renewed my season ticket already. Nice. Even though I know I'll miss the first few games, I don't care. Vieira's the way forward. He knows exactly what we need. <laughs> um, Matt, tell us about the Athletic. Give you give you a 30-second free plug. Yeah, so we are uh, online. We I cover Palace specifically, so if you subscribe, then you get to read three, usually three pieces a week about Palace, um, you know, including various features. I've written about the academy. I've done interviews with Wilfred Zaha. I was in an interview with Martin Kelly, um, Sean Scannell, Mila Yednak, any, any former player you can think of, I've interviewed them. Um, did big pieces on big moments in the club's history, like Hillsborough uh, administration, Wilfred Zaha's 10 years at the club, etc., etc. Um, yeah, so we, we just cover... Everything about I cover everything about Palace, break transfer stories, um, write backgrounders about players that come in, so you get to know what the players are about, the new players, new signings, um, big pieces like ten, uh, big pieces on James MacArthur. Um, so any anything you can think of, anything and everything about Palace, the Athletic's your place to go. The greatest uh, on the shed, sons. Are you gonna? Is that gonna be an off season? We're running out of things to write about, so the greatest half half time challenges. No, look, I I actually subscribe, and I was I'm very reticent to subscribe to stuff, but the way I look, I used to buy magazines. I used to buy ninety minutes. It's it, it's the uh, it's the equivalent of that. And uh, we we had an away car club where various members of back of the nest went with DR up to away games, and the athletic pods were quite often on. Uh, to, to, to see us through the journey and uh, they're erudite and uh, intelligent, which in football writing is hard to come across. So um, thanks very much for coming on with us today, Matt. Um, as far as the match report goes, we're shutting down for the summer, um, but you'll be able to catch us 
across social media. If anything does happen, check out YouTube, TikTok, MySpace, Bebo, Facebook. <laughs> if it happens, we'll be there. Keep checking out The Athletic. Looking forward to August already. Um, if you're going to Australia, let us know via the tweet. Yes. We'll be well jealous of you. No doubt we'll be uh, logging on to some dodgy stream online to watch that. Um, and have a good summer. Up the palace. Come on, you palace. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.